Well, at this time, the children are released to go to Children's Church, so you can follow Sarah and be able to enjoy that. And for those of you who are remaining, you may be asking yourself, who am I? What am I doing here? Well, uh, Pastor Ernest asked me to preach. Uh, my name is uh, Don Garant. I've been a pastor for over 36 years, and uh, I am very honored to stand before you today in order to bring the Word of God. And the Word I have is a good one. If you're looking for a depressing, condemning sermon that makes you feel miserable and you want to just go, uh, you're not going to get that today. I've got good news for you about how much Jesus loves you, about how God has had a plan from the very beginning to see that you are, your sins are forgiven and that you will be with him reigning in heaven forever and ever. So do you want that kind of a message? Good, good. Um, yeah, it's a characteristic of me um, that, that I sometimes say, let the church say amen. And so if you feel led to say amen, you can do it. But uh, anyhow, it, it's the way I am. Um, I do know, kind of beginning in a lighthearted matter, that a number of you are going to be leaving for the Holy Land soon. And that's going to be a great experience for you. Uh, it reminds me of when I was blessed to be in the Holy Land. And at some point, I asked uh, our guide, who was a, an elderly Jewish man who loved uh, Israel and he knew all, everything. And so with cheerful, irritating fashion that I tend to manifest, I, I asked him at one point, he said, what is the difference between an Israeli and an Israelite? And I could tell he hadn't been asked that question before, and he kind of clouded up. Ah, and then his face brightened, and he said, Don, my son, the difference between an Israeli and an Israelite is an Israeli on a diet is an Israelite. Uh, likewise, using the same logic, uh, John Murphy, uh, a number of months ago, gave one of his usual excellent presentations. Uh, and one of the things he said was that there were a group of people referred to in ancient texts as the Hebiru. And they might have been the forerunners of the Hebrews. And so, wondering, when did the Hebiru get to be called Hebrews? Well, I can tell John the answer, thanks to my brilliance. I... I said, John, the Hebiru, when they learned to make beer, they became known as the Hebrews. So he, he can thank me and give you credit in the footnotes. So, All right, I, I'm on thin ice. I better get to prayer right away. So let's all pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for laying down your life for us. Send your Holy Spirit here to this room, that as the word is preached, our hungering and thirsting hearts may be fed and may be given that water that quenches the thirst, the living water from you, Lord. Help us to see your glory. Open to us the splendors of your word, and may we leave this place rejoicing in your love for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, the title of my sermon is The Prototype of the Crucifixion. And last Sunday, of course, was Easter. And uh, so it's, it's not uh, inappropriate to talk about the crucifixion. And instead of reading all the way through the passage, as is the usual tendency here, um, I'm going to be giving this sermon as an exegesis. 
And next to Jesus, I know the Sunday school kids say, it sounds like a skin disease, you know, an exegesis. But an exegesis means it's a line-by-line explanation of the text, the scriptural text. And so I'm going to be doing it line-by-line as opposed to all at once. Now, first some definitions. What is a prototype? Well, a prototype, according to Webster's New World Dictionary, is a person or thing that serves as a model for a later period. Proto is the first type. And an archetype, archetype, is a perfect example of a type or group. So, beginning, our our passage this morning is Genesis 22, verses 1 through 18. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Now let's break this down. First of all, sometime later refers to Isaac. Isaac had been born in the previous passage. He was the amazing miracle child born to a hundred-year-old man and a ninety-year-old woman. Wow. And and it's sometime later. So Isaac would have either been an adolescent or a teenager or perhaps a, a young man. And it said... He was tested, God tested Abraham. Testing by God is to confirm our faith and prove our commitment, our loyalty to him. It is not being tempted. Satan will tempt us. Satan will prey upon our weaknesses, our fears, our prides, and he wants to do it in order to get us to fall into sin. But God, from time to time, tests us to kind of see what we're made of. Now, there had been other tests in Abraham's life. And uh, on the report card of Abraham, he had some F's. He had some C's and he had some A's. A couple of the F's were when Sarai, she wasn't Sarah yet, uh, he said, you know what, you're a beautiful woman and we're going into Egypt and uh, if they know that you're my wife, they'll kill me. So just say you're my sister. And they did that, and Pharaoh says, hey, hubba hubba, you know, I want to marry her, and took him into his household, and God had to rescue him. See, Sarah is going to give birth to the child of the covenant. God had already made the covenant with Abraham, but this was an F experience when he lied about Sarah. And another F on his record was when he got tired of waiting, and he said, I'll give God a helping hand here. And he took Hagar and she conceived Ishmael. But Ishmael was not the son of the covenant. Another time uh, that was a C on his report card was when he went and he rescued Lot and his family from captivity. A bunch of kings had arisen. They attacked Sodom and Gomorrah. They took Lot captive. And Abraham came riding to the rescue and set them all free. Another C in his report card was when Abraham laughed when God promised him that he it was not too late, he would still have a son. Sarah would conceive and give birth even though she was 90 years old. And it says, he was bowing face down, but he laughed to himself. This is not a good thing to do. That's a, that's a C. But there were some A's on his report card as well. First, when he gave Melchizedek the priest of of Salem, Jerusalem, a tenth of all the spoils that he had captured. 
And another time when, was when Abraham bargained and pleaded with God. God was going down to see if the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was as great as he had heard. And Abraham, you recall, said, well, what, what if there are 50 righteous men? Would you destroy the city? And the 50? No. And you know how he bargained. Now, what if there are 40? Well, what if there are 30? And, and this was a good thing where he was showing uh, mercy and grace. And a third, and perhaps the greatest, is that Abraham believed in this God. And God said, I'm going to make a covenant with you, and you're going to have a billion children, and all the peoples of the world will be blessed through you. And Abraham believed that. Well, continuing on, when God said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Abraham had a personal relationship with the Lord. He knew God's voice. And I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, do you know God's voice? It may come to you as, a, as an audible voice. I know that that's happened to me a couple of times. Or you simply know something, you get a nudge, you're led or you're strangely led away from something that looked perfectly good. But do you know God's voice? Jesus said, I know my own and they know me. My sheep know my voice and they follow me. Actually, what Jesus is saying there is something that would be very common, typical to the people of his day and age. When you had flocks, a shepherd, they'd they'd come to a watering hole. And here would be two or three different flocks with different shepherds. And the the sheep, they would all go down and and get their fill of the drink. How are you going to separate them out? You know, as ranchers in Texas, we brand our cattle. And you can say, look, that's my brand. But they didn't do that in, in Palestine with sheep. And the way that they would actually separate the, this gaggle of, of sheep there is a shepherd would start either to sing a song or to call out and start walking away from the water hole. And his own sheep would know his voice, just like a dog would know the master's voice, and the sheep would begin to follow him. Brothers and sisters, we too need to know the voice of the Lord in our hearts, in our minds, in our ears, in our emotions, and be willing to obey and follow him. Well, Abraham had this personal relationship, and he replied, Here I am. He had immediate obedience. Actually, the commentators say that the here I am is a servant's kind of response. Abraham saw himself not as, you know, I'm I'm blessed. God's lucky to have me on his team. He's made a covenant with me. No, he is a servant. And he says, here I am. Very much like a soldier would say, sir, yes, sir. I'm ready to do whatever you say, whatever you say. And by the way, I want to say, as we go through this whole passage, you could be asking yourself, what would I do if God called me? How do I respond when God calls me? And what would my obedience or lack thereof be? Well, in verse number two, God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. First of all, in this, in this just one verse, four times God describes Isaac. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go sacrifice him as a burnt object. Now, 
the, the, the thing here is, he is definitely saying not Ishmael. He did have two sons, but Ishmael was not the son of the covenant. He was a mistake that, that had come from Abraham's lack of faith. And so, now, it, it could have been, you know, uh, if I'd been there, I might have thought, well, if you want me to sacrifice a son, I'll sacrifice Ishmael. Because that was, that was my bad. That, that's on me. I, I will sacrifice him. And that will leave Isaac as the one true fulfillment of the covenant. But God said, no. Take Isaac, the son you love, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering to me. Whoa. Whoa. Could you sacrifice one of your children if God said this to you? I know I couldn't. I'd I'd say, well, there's got to be, there's got to be another way. This was the supreme test. Does Abraham trust God no matter what? I mean, it was irrational. If God said that to you or to me today, wait a minute, I, I know who you are. You're the God of orphans and widows. You are not pleased at the sacrifice of your children. When, when the Israelites did that to Molech, it was abhorrent to God. How, how can you say, sacrifice my son? And this is the son who you said you'd give me, although I doubted, and, and he's going to fulfill the covenant and all the people of the world is going to be... You, I must have heard you wrong. This is crazy. But God is saying, do you trust me more than yourself, more than even rational thoughts? Will you trust and obey me? Something that, uh, true story that happened to me uh, many years ago, it was 1980, uh, I'd just gotten married, and uh, I had a watch. Now let me just digress a moment. Uh, some of you may not be old enough to remember this, but back in the day, if you had a watch, you had to wind that watch every day. There was a spring in it. And I'd forget to wind my watch. A lot of people did. And, and it would run down. And usually I would find out I'd forgotten to re- remember to wind my watch because I'd show up and I'd say, oh, I'm right on time. And they'd say, no, you're 20 minutes late. Oh, darn, I forgot to wind my watch. Then they came out with electric watches. They still had the hands and the second hand, but you didn't have to wind them. Next came along LED watches. They were kind of black like the smart watches we have now, but you had to push the button and little red LEDs would come on and tell you what time it was. That was their only function. And, and yet it was kind of awkward to do that. But then they came out with LCD watches, liquid crystal display. And they showed all the time. I'm wearing one right now and I can see the time at just a glance. I'm ignoring it. Uh, Sorry about that, guys, but I'm ignoring what time it is. Anyway, the LCD watch. So I was admiring one one time. My wife and I had been married about a year. I said, man, that's a nice-looking watch. She said, why don't you buy it? I said, oh, it's over $100. And that was a lot of money for us at that time. And uh, uh, I said, oh, I don't know. No, no, go ahead and buy it, honey. That's good. You, you, You enjoy it. So, fast forward a few months. I was in my church office and uh, in Pasadena, California, and at some point my watch went off the alarm and I went, ah, you know, I like this watch. And the Lord said to me, just kind of dropped it in there, he said, you really like that watch, don't you, Don? And I said, well, yes, Lord, as a matter of fact, I do. It's kind of my prized possession. And then the Lord said, I want you to go roll the car over it. What? And I did know it was the Lord. Oh, oh. So very reluctantly, I got up and I went outside to where my car was parked. 
oh my goodness, I took off my watch and I laid, first I scraped all the gravel. It was a rough asphalt, not a smooth asphalt, old, gnarly asphalt. And I swiped away the, the gravel and I very carefully laid it on a spot. Maybe the back won't get crushed or a rock won't d- destroy the mechanism inside. And I got in the car. Are you sure, Lord? Yeah, I know what he told me. So, okay. I started the car and I let out the clutch and the engine died. Now, it wasn't quite the miracle that you might expect. Uh, In all the getting in and out of the car, I'd set the the emergency brake, the parking brake, and I had forgotten about that, so I let out the clutch and it stopped the engine. Oh, drag. And all the time I'm saying, how am I going to explain this to Norma? What happened to your watch? Well, I rolled over it in the car, you know. You know how much that watch cost? Oh, it would would have been terrible. What an idiot. So I restarted the car. I took off the emergency brake. I started to let out the, the clutch. And the Lord said, stop. You don't need to roll over your watch. And all of a sudden, all of this started flooding into my consciousness. Oh, Lord. And I got out, I lay face down on the ground, and I worshipped the Lord. God tested me at that moment. He said, do you love me more than you love your little LCD watch? Now, I told that story. It's true. uh, And I come off looking pretty good in it. I'm not trying to build myself up. I got a couple of million stories where I don't come off looking good. Trust me on this. But in that one... I was obedient to the Lord. So should we seek to be obedient to what the Lord tells us, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. Well, I go to verse 2. God said, take your son, your only son who you love, Isaac, go to the region of Moriah. Moriah and sacrifice Isaac on a mountain I will show you. The site of the future temple, as written in Second Chronicles 3.1, then Solomon began to build a temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David. And to this day, I mean, the groups that are going to go, they're going to come back with pictures. There's a great big, the Dome of the Rock. Now, it was actually built by the Muslims in 691 A.D., and it's still there. And it's got a beautiful golden dome and then sort of a hexagonal shape around it. But in the center of that mosque is a rough outcropping of rock. They believe that, for the Muslims, that Abraham was going to sacrifice Ishmael. Because they believe they are, they are spiritual descendants of Ishmael, not Isaac. For the Jews, it's Isaac. And for us, it's Isaac. But that's the Dome of the Rock. So, verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. In other words, he was unhesitating obedience. Stop to think. Put yourself in Abraham's shoes. What a night that must have been. I am to go and I am to kill and make a burnt offering of my son Isaac. We do know that Jacob, when he heard that Esau was coming with a hundred, a lot of men, that he wrestled all night with the Lord. And we know that Jesus, before his crucifixion, was in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops like blood. And he was saying, Father, all things are possible with you. Let this cup pass from me. 
but not my will, but thy will be done. I think it was that kind of a a night for Abraham. But he obeyed with unhesitating obedience early in the morning. He didn't procrastinate like I would of. He didn't ask for another opinion. Early in the morning, he got up determined to do God's will for him. Now, there were two other men with them, servants. They're, they're unnamed. They were just servants. And God said to him to, for them to stay with the, uh, the donkeys. And Isaac and Abraham went on alone. I'm going to come back to those two servants a little bit later. Verse 4. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. On the third day is a reference here. We're talking about prototype and archetype. On the third day, when Jesus arose, it is a foreshadowing of Jesus' resurrection. And also, the three days to travel, they were in Beersheba, and it would take them that long to get from Beersheba to the area of Jerusalem. Well, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Now, this is the third reference to the place. In verse 2, it says, the mountain I will show you. In verse 3, the place God had told him about. Verse 4, he saw the place in the distance. In other words, this place, Mount Moriah, is where the future temple is going to be built. It is where Solomon would do that. It's where Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac. To this day, it is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It is not just any place. It's not, I go out yonder somewhere. It is a holy place that God himself has very specifically shown to Abraham, and he is to go there. Abraham said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Now, he was saying, we're going to go worship on the mountain. And you recall how Moses said to Pharaoh, our God says, let my people go so that we can go and worship the Lord our God. Here, too, Abraham is foreshadowing that uh, freedom to go and worship that would happen with Moses. And... uh, Abraham must also have believed God would resurrect his son. I believe that during the night, as Abraham saying, this is crazy, it makes no rational sense, he must have said, you know what? If God can create life out of Adam, make Adam and Eve out of mud, and he can cause Sarah to conceive and bear our son Isaac, then God is the Lord of both life and death, and he will resurrect Isaac. Because he said to the servants, we will come and return to you. In the next slide, it says, Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead so that in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. We're getting these themes are emerging from the mist, if you please, of death and of resurrection here with Isaac. 
Abraham believed that God would resurrect his son. We're seeing the theme of the covenant son and a plan for redemption as well as foreshadowing of the plan of resurrection. Death and resurrection. And that is here in this passage. This is the prototype. It wasn't fully understood until Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Glory to God. In verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. It says Abraham took the wood, which was necessary for the burnt offering, and put it on the back of Isaac. Jesus had to carry the wood of the cross, his own instrument of death, and carry it to Golgotha. Also, they took the fire for the burnt offering and the knife to cut flesh and take life. The the soldiers at the crucifixion used nails and a spear. And I ask you, a spear is simply a knife put on a long pole. And they used that to make sure that Jesus really was dead. In Genesis 22, 6b, as the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, you can just hear this, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, Isaac was observant, yet he was submissive. He must have sought the scene that his father was in a very strange mood, really grim this morning. Something was up. This was not a normal kind of thing to do. And yet Isaac went willingly. I don't know whether he knew or not that he was to become the burnt offering. On the other hand, Jesus knew. Isaac may have had doubts, but Jesus knew that he was to be sacrificed. He would be betrayed not only by Judas, but deserted by his disciples. He had the trial, the mockery of the trial, the terrible scourging, and finally the crucifixion. All of that Jesus knew was going to happen. And Jesus in Gethsemane said, Let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, thy will be done. In 22.8, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. God himself will provide. Now, we need to pause here for a moment. In the Old Testament covenant, the, the testament to the Old Covenant... There was the way that people, God had provided for people to get close to him when they had sinned is, they would bring, if I sinned, I brought a lamb from the flock and I took it to the priest. And even though I deserved to sin for transgressing God's law and covenant, God said you can have a substitutionary sacrifice and the lamb would have its throat slit by the priest and the lamb would die, but my sin was forgiven and I could live. He died in my place. The trouble with that was I would sin again. So I had to bring another lamb. And we went through it over and over. Human sin. The humans brought the lamb. The lamb was slain. But it went on and on and on. In the testament to the new covenant, God himself will provide the lamb. God, the perfect lamb of God, took On himself, my sin, your sin, the sins of all the world. 
and he was willing to be faithful unto death and to die in our place so that we could be set free. Somebody say glory to God. This is a pretty good deal. In fact, uh, uh, it says in Hebrews, uh, I'm sorry, wait. The two of them went on. Isaac was observant, yes, submissive. And Jesus in Gethsemane said, let this cup that thy will be done. So God has provided the perfect Lamb of God. He continues on that the Lamb was for the burnt offering. A burnt offering signifies surrender and complete commitment. Jesus was faithful unto death, even death on a cross. And I read from the marvelous hymn uh, in Philippians chapter 2. It says, He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Somebody say hallelujah. This is, this is good news, my friend. So Jesus was willing to be the burnt offering. It says, the two of them went on together. And God said, I will be with you. He made that promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses. And Jesus makes it to you and me. Don't you recall how Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the close of the age. Jesus is available to you right now. You know, usually when I've sinned, when I've gotten myself in a pickle, when I messed up, and I say, God, God, where are you? He says, I'm right here. And if I just turn around and stop turning my back to him, I will find him willing to minister to me and give me the guidance that I need. Lo, Jesus promises, I am with you always. 22.9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bowed his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. The place God had told him about is the fourth reference to this holy, special place destined for the temple mount. And he built an altar with rough stones not made by human hands. In fact, in the instructions that God gave to uh, Solomon in the building of the glorious temple, Solomon's temple, the altar was not to be with shaped stones or smooth stones that human beings had worked. Rather, it was to be rough stones as God had made them. And that was what was to be the altar. That's what Abraham built. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. He bound Isaac. By this time, Isaac had to know, wait a minute, I'm going to be the burnt offering. I'm going to be the lamb that's slain. Now, Isaac was, I don't know, 18, 24, something like that. First of all, he could have just said, no way. He could have run away. Dad, you've gone crazy on me. This is ridiculous. I'm not, I'm not doing this. I've done nothing wrong. But he was willing to submit to be bound and to be placed on the altar. 
In Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he, Jesus, the Messiah, did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Isaac was willing to submit to this murder in his book. What on earth? 22.10, then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Now suppose those two servants that Abraham had said, you guys stay here with the donkey, don't, don't come up with us, we're going to worship, and then we'll return. Suppose those two servants had been there. I, I don't know for sure, but I think they would have stopped Abraham. They would say, wait, 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 you, you've gone crazy, stop this. This is awful. This is murder of your son. We know your son. We know the promise, the covenant you've told us about all these years. We're not going to let you do this. Abraham may have foreseen that. And he said, you guys stay way off by the donkeys. Don't come up. And then secondly, imagine the father's anguish. How, oh God, can this be part of your plan? To have me kill my son, the son of the covenant. But yet... I will obey you. I don't think I could have done it. In fact, I know I couldn't. I could not have slit my son's throat. But Abraham was willing to. Jesus before the Sanhedrin in Mark fourteen sixty one. But Jesus remained silent and gave them no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus was willing to be delivered into hands of these evil men, to not raise a protest, and was faithful unto death. Genesis 22:11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. First of all, the angel is saying, Abraham, stop, stop. You passed the test. You don't need to slay Isaac. He, they continued, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because if you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. You do not have to kill your son Isaac. I know that you Fear me. You're willing to go through, even though it's fearful, what I was telling you to do, to kill Isaac. You are willing to obey me, even though it makes no sense. It's irrational. And you're willing to go through the emotional pain, the cost of doing this. You truly have faith in me. And my ways are more than your own. Now, God asks this of you and me as well. Do you love the Lord? more than the things of this earth? Do you love the Lord more than your financial security, more than your possessions, more than LCD watches? Do you love the Lord more than your life goals and your plans? But Lord, I've got a plan. I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be famous. No, no, no. I can't sacrifice that to, to follow you. Are you willing to sacrifice your security, emotional and material? 
Jesus asked Simon Peter three times at the Sea of Galilee when this was after the resurrection, before the ascension. He came to Simon and said, Simon, do you love me more than these? His fishing boats and his former way of life. And three times Jesus asked, do you love me more than these? Because Simon had denied Jesus three times on the night of his crucifixion, of his arrest. I go to verse 13. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. This was the substitutionary sacrifice that we talked about. Jesus, the Lamb of God, gave his life as a ransom for you and me. And his blood atones for you. The death sentence that I deserve, that you deserve, Jesus was willing to go and be executed so that we might live and might have eternal life with him in glory. So, Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. You know the difference between a life lived in fear, anxiety, and stress, and a life lived with joy, with hope, and faith? It is a willingness to trust in the Lord, that he will provide what you need in your relationships, in your finances, in your spiritual life, in every way. The Lord will provide. Have you ever heard the saying, The Lord may not give you what you want, but he never fails to give you what you need. Let me say that again. That's the moment of faith. The Lord may not give you what you want in this life, but he never fails to give his children what they need. Somebody say amen. Amen. Trusting in the Lord is the difference between living a life of fear and a life of faith. Well, in verse 15, it says, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. There's nothing higher than that. If he swears by the mountains, they're just molehills. If he swears by the oceans, that's just a bunch of drops of water. I swear by myself, he said, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations, peoples on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This is a reaffirmation of the covenant that God had made so many years ago with Abraham. And you and I are heirs of exactly this covenant. Can I get an amen? We are set free. We are blessed because of Abraham and his God's covenant with him. But our heavenly father's son was sacrificed on the cross. In other words, Abraham did not have to endure the physical death of Isaac. But God the Father did have to endure the death of his son, Jesus Christ. Isaac did not have to die as a sacrifice and burnt offering, but Jesus did willingly go to the cross for you and me. The perfect Lamb of God bore all of our sins. And this is the atonement that he has provided for us. 
For those of us in Georgetown, Texas, in a worship service at Main Street Baptist Church, this is our hope. This is God's promise. This is what's available to us. You know, an atonement, I've told the Sunday school kids, is at one We no longer are enemies of God and separated for God. We are at one with him. And he is our peace. Somebody say amen. Well, the prototype was the sacrifice of Isaac. But the archetype, the perfect example, is the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus willingly died that you might live. He paid a debt that he did not owe. And I owe a debt that I could not pay. But thanks be to God, he has provided the way out of my sin, out of the punishment I deserve, and into the glorious life, walking with Jesus on this earth, and then reigning with him in the glories of heaven in the days to come. I close with this. But we never can prove the delights of his word until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let's bow our heads and pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, how supremely glorious you are. Thank you, Heavenly Father and Holy Spirit, for providing this plan of redemption, of death and resurrection, of salvation for sinners like us. From the very, very beginning, Lord, you had provided this plan. We thank you. We lay hold of you. May we be willing to obey you without hesitation, to hold nothing back from you, And to let you be our provision in this life and in the next. To you be all honor and glory now and forever. And all God's children said, Amen. Thank you, Don. That was great. Let's stand as we continue worship this morning.